So, um, I'm going to base my talk on a, a couple of passages, and um, so I'm going to read from uh, the Bible in a minute. Uh, the verses that I'm going to talk about is the verse that Jerry just uh, talked about when he was praying up here, which is that the thief, this is from John 10, 10, um, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So here we are, we're saying the thief, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I, says Jesus, I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. The issue with that statement is uh, something that sometimes we don't talk about very often, which is that actually there's a battle going on. And you have to learn to stand in that battle and fight back. And that's the story of my family's life. And so I'm going to read you another passage, which is in Ephesians. And it goes like this. It's quite long, but, but stick with me, guys. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy's um, battle against you, against his schemes. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, get ready to take a stand, guys. Put on your armor. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when there's a Hong Kong going on, or when there's stuff going on in your family, or when there's stuff going on for you, then when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. You may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist. What is the truth? The truth is that there's God, eternal, amazing God who made the universe, who loves you. That's the truth. You're his child. He made you. He called you. He's going to redeem you. He's going to restore you. He's going to restore his world. That's the truth. So get that belt on. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. What's the breastplate, a breastplate of righteousness? Well, that's what Jesus has done, as Ben was talking about. He's done that on the cross. He's taken all my stuff, all my stuff that damages me, the damage that I do to people, the damage that we do to each other. He's taken all of that, and once for all, he's put it on the cross so that you cannot be accused of damaging other people. In fact, he's going to change you so that you don't carry on living like that, where you damage others or others damage you, because he's going to make you anew, and he's making a new world. So that's really the breastplate of righteousness. Once for all, he's done it. Okay, let me carry on. I keep losing my bits. 
and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Well, I've worn my special yellow shoes. I don't know if you can see them, but that's your gospel of peace because actually I'm going to speak peace into everything I do. The gospel of peace is that God loves you and he's going to restore you. He's going to change your life. And all you have to do is you have to turn to him. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one because you'll be under attack because we're in a battle. You're going to be under attack, guys. Whether that's in your family, it all might look really great, but actually there's going to be a bit of a battle going on and there are going to be flamed arrows from the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. So the helmet of salvation. If you think about our body, what's the, what's the most important of your body that makes everything work? It's your brain. So you really need that covering, the helmet of salvation, the fact that God has saved you. He's not left you alone. He's got you. He saved you. So take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is actually the word of God. So get to know your Bible well because you're going to need that because when those arrows come and when people tell you, oh, no, it can't happen this way, it has to be this way, you can say, actually, I know it works this way because you know your Bible, you know your word. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions And with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always pray for all of us. So those are the two um, uh, kind of uh, verses that I want to talk about, John 10.10 and Ephesians 6, because those are the story of my family. So let me tell you the story of my family. So I come from a Sikh family. Uh, So Sikhs, you would recognize Sikhs because they wear turbans. And I'm sure you've seen Sikhs in in London. Uh, So I come from a Sikh family, and uh, uh, my family is quite um, is educated. It's quite cultured. Um, It has um, it takes on some cultural values like love and duty and honour and sacrifice, (laughs) all of those kinds of things. Um, It's quite a fun culture to be part of. So Sikhs do fantastic dancing, bhangra dancing, absolutely fabulous. And uh, we have the best barbecues in the world. (laughs) And and we can, we can party. We can party like mad. And it's an amazing culture to be part of. And I have a lot of respect for it. A lot of respect for our temples where there are 24 seven kitchens so that anyone can come off the road and come in and have a full, wonderful, amazing, spicy vegetarian meal. And I know a lot of students at Birmingham Uni who actually go to the temple in order to get that lunch. (laughs) So I come from a culture like that, but it's also a very macho culture, a culture that um, actually tells you that if you are a woman, then you're less worthwhile than a a man. 
So to get any, any level of respect, you have to be a man. And you have to have a big house and a big car, fantastic career. You have to be very competitive, uh, go to the temple regularly, be very religious, be very self-focused, and have a good career and lots of money and all those things. And so I was brought up in this culture where actually, um, of course, I'm a girl. I'm a woman. Um, and, and in terms of religion, it was all about God is good to you when you're good and he's bad to you when you're bad. So unless you get 98%, you're not actually going to get there, wherever there is. And he's very impersonal, he's punitive. So as I said, he's good to you when, when you're good and not so good to you when you're not. So that was my culture. And, and just to add to that, um, I was also brought up in a family in this macho culture and uh, Punjabi culture is very um, full of laddish behavior. And as you, many of you know, laddish behavior includes a lot of alcohol, doesn't it? So my family, we, we had a family in which there was a lot of drinking a lot, and with that went a level of domestic violence and associated things. So I was brought up in that kind of family. So I'm one of uh, five sisters. I'm the oldest in my family. And you can imagine what the impact was on us. Um, so I was um, about 10, and I had sisters going down to maybe three. Um, and we were brought up in this family where there was uh, a lot of drinking and macho culture. And uh, you can imagine what five girls were like in that family. We were very scared. We spent all our time being good. We did what we were told. We never did anything that provoked anything because we weren't sure if things were going to kick off. We had a whole load of uh, community thinking that because there was so much alcoholism, we had great shame in our family, so we never even put our head up. We would just try and be quiet and live our life until the next thing erupted. Uh, so it was a very um, uh, difficult family to live in. And it really goes with that verse, doesn't it? The one about um, John 10.10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, because that's what was happening to our family. It was being destroyed, and our childhoods were being destroyed, and fear became our big thing. It was like a blanket over us. And that happens, you know, it happens in church probably for some families. It happens outside church. Do you know that in the summer holidays when we're, we're out and about having our barbecues and doing all sorts of things, that child protection rates go up in our boroughs because children are not safe. And uh, all sorts of other things go on. So all these things are hidden within families and there are all these children and families that are living with all sorts of things. So the, so the devil, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Sometimes our, our own families are taken from us. 
I'm a volunteer for childhood bereavement in a local hospice. I listen to children for ages regularly and I'm passionate about being there for them. I hear about dads who decide to hang themselves and leave a whole family. And I've got little eight-year-olds that tell me that their dad hung himself. Or, or a mum who has cancer. Or a family where knife crimes happened and a whole family's been destroyed and nobody knows what happened. Why did it happen? Why should it happen? The thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. There's a battle going on between good and evil. Okay, so to return to East Africa, to Kenya, where I'm from, I lived in a neighborhood. All the kids, we played on the street. It's a fantastic neighborhood, fairly safe. Uh, you could see wild animals across there. And if you climbed up to the top of your house, you could see the airport. And even sometimes, you could see free films because, you know, we had those big screen films outside and you could even watch those if you were right at the top. And into this neighborhood moved a group of Christians. Now, they were from the USA and they moved into our neighborhood and it actually says about Jesus that Jesus moves into our neighborhood. And they started living in our community and they really started dwelling they came to visit everyone. Uh, they came to all our festivals. We ate together. They opened clubs. They had Sunday school. Uh, and suddenly, this group of children, like my family, we all suddenly became very actively engaged. Wow, what fun. So we could go off to clubs. We went away for weekends away. And all the fun of the universe suddenly descended on us. So. Despite the fact that stuff was going on at home, there was also this fun thing, this kind of rescue by God for so many of us, those little children, because we were able to go to clubs and things, and we came back really excited about things we'd made and stories about Jesus. Stories that said that Jesus was the Son of God. And he'd come to tell us that there was God who'd made us and loved us. And that he takes away all that stuff, all that damage that's done to us. And he puts it on the cross and deals with it once for all. Finished. And he builds a new life into our lives. Gives us a new heart and a new spirit. And he gives us hope. That's John 3.16, in case you wanted to look it up. So there I am, sitting in the temple, because that's what good Punjabis do, go to the temple on Sunday, sitting there thinking, hmm. So I've been thinking that I'm not good enough for God, that my life is a mess, and please God, take me away from it, <laughs> do something. And then here is someone, here is God who's sending his son to come and tell me that he loves me. And he's very personal. He actually loves me, Nita. And that I don't have to try and get to him somehow by getting my 98% of goodness. But he's reaching out to me. And he's not saying, I'm nobody. He's saying, Nita Rogers, oh, Nita Panisar then. Nita Panisar. You're somebody. 
you are a child of God. I thought, wow, that's amazing. I think I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be following Jesus. I don't want to be with this God that tells me that's distance and punitive. I want to be with Jesus, who's telling me that God is for me and not against me. And that actually I can have abundant life instead of the life that I had. So all these kids, I would love to tell you this, all these kids that went to Sunday school, all of them later on became Christians and they were to move to England, some of them. And uh, so at that time, uh, while we were in Kenya, we had this, um, these clubs and things. There were all these kids and then they were all of us thinking, wow, God loves us, Jesus loves us, and isn't it fun to do all these fun things? But then something else happened. There was going to be a kind of law in, in Parliament over here which said that if you were a British citizen, uh, you better come now or else you won't be allowed to come after that, and my parents were both British citizens, so they could either decide to live in Kenya, or they could take up their citizenship. So five girls, they're thinking, I think it'd be better if we went to England. So overnight, we left Kenya, and we arrived in England. And we were all wearing our lovely summer frocks, <laughs> and it was snow everywhere. <laughs> and we arrived overnight. Um, and we moved to England. My parents didn't want any help from anyone. They got their jobs and they got going and, and we built a life. And I went to school where I was loved and looked after by a couple of Manchester United supporters <laughs> called Jackie and Joy. And I am forever, Lord, thankful to them as we all hung out for Georgie Best, Manchester United, some of you might know that. And I became part of their crew and they kind of looked after me, which was a good idea because I was the only one of two people of colour in the school and they hadn't heard about diverse people at that time. <laughs> so if you were different, then it was quite scary. <laughs> so it was great. I, I'm grateful forever to Joy and Jackie for looking after me. They were good friends to me. Um, and then I went off uh, to a teacher training college. Soon after that, I met some good friends there of all kinds. I had a sense of direction because I was going to a teacher training college, so obviously I was going to become something. So I was going to be a teacher. Um, I went to church. I prayed. I, learned, I studied the Bible. I shared my faith with my family and my friends. And life was really good. And life was really good. I did a, a, a degree in English a literature, which was fantastic because we got to go to Shakespeare and we went to every pub in London because there's some association with it. So it was really good fun. <laughs> so I had a great time at college, a really great time. Um, and life was really, really good. And one day, my youngest sister, Sab, came to visit. And uh, she, she was with me the whole weekend. And we did all sorts of things, including going to the pub and up to London and all sorts of things. And she turned around at the end of her visit and she said, Nita, 
you've got something and your friends have got something that I want. What is it? And uh, at, at which point I was completely petrified. I thought, oh my gosh, what is it? So I shared the gospel with her. I told her that it was God. God had completely turned my life around. So she said, can you show me how to become a Christian? And then I went, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do that. And so one of my friends led my sister, sat my younger sister to the Lord. And it was just amazing. It was fantastic. During those times, uh, it, it all sounds really great, <laughs> but there was a lot of conflict going on at home. Because actually, if you are the eldest daughter, first of all, you're a daughter, five girls, so that means you're not much value because you're a girl. Supposed to be five boys, that would be great. There'd be great celebrations. Secondly, when you get to about my age then, about 23, 24, you ought to be thinking about marrying you off. Try and find you a husband, someone who be, you know, who has lots of money, educated, fast cars, status in, in the community, and so on. And of course, there was a lot of division around as a result of that because I was following Jesus. And I didn't want an arranged marriage in a temple. I wanted God to find me a husband. I wasn't even sure I wanted to be married. In fact, I was going to go and teach in Iran before the Ayatollah came in. So I was getting ready for that. <laughs> and about that time, I met Jerry at a wedding of a friend of ours. And uh, we, became, we were very good friends, and we still are <laughs> very good friends <laughs> for a long time. And, uh, and that was great. And as time went on, and I was making decisions about following Jesus, getting a little bit further away from the expectations of my family and my culture, something terrible happened in our family that completely shook our family. It was a dark cloud of death that came one summer evening while we were in a, a massive family holiday in Scotland by a lake. Um, and what actually happened was that a whole group of us went up on holiday together, drove up to Scotland, um, a fa fantastic time together, uh, and three of my uncles and a cousin who was 10 decided to go mackerel fishing on a loch. And... Uh, they didn't come back. There was a storm, and they all drowned, including my cousin, who was 10. And our family went into an inordinate level of grief as a result. We were completely shattered. We had all the cars that had been driven up had to be driven back by the women because uh, two women lost their husbands. Tiny little twin boys, three years old, lost their dad. Three teenage boys lost their dad. And my mum lost her three brothers, which was the worst thing that could ever happen in her life. And our family was just in shock. 
then the newspapers got hold of the story, so we were driving back to Epsom, and we arrived, and there were all these people with their cameras and stories, and it was in the press, and we were devastated, completely devastated. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come, says Jesus, to give you life and life abundant. Now this deep level of grief in our family resulted in uh, a trauma, a particular trauma for a member of my family who was suddenly rushed to hospital in a coma. And the doctors said that actually if she ever came out of the coma, she, she would be brain dead and we would have to make other decisions. And so, going back to be strong, take on the full armor, be ready for the fight, make your stand. Ephesians 6, please do look it up for yourselves again. We prayed. Jerry took the day off work, and we prayed, and we prayed. And uh, we prayed, Lord, please, Please take this person who's already experienced so much stuff out of this situation. And heard a kind of a whisper, if you like, like a word in my brain. And it, it went something like this. Nita, I want you to go up to your mum and just say to her that... Um, Jesus Christ loves her and he's been to hell and he, he's been back up again. He died but he rose and he's able to give this life back. You go and tell your mum that and ask her to turn and pray to him. I'm thinking, ooh, <laughs> this is a bit much, <laughs> you know. There's so much trauma around, and I've got to go and say that to my mum, who's grieving already because of one trauma, and here's another. Anyway, I got my best foot forward and went over to my mum and said, Mum, you know, Jesus loves you very much, and he, he's able to sort this out. He's able to bring life into this death situation. So if you want to turn to him and ask him for your daughter, then he hears you and he's able to do it. Well, you can imagine what happened next. My mum prayed. My sisters who were watching all this prayed. We all prayed. And within 24 hours, this person in our family had not only come out of a coma, but she was also very well. <laughs> Nothing wrong at all. And he's very precious. So her life was restored to her. Amazing. Now I have a very, um, a very um, determined sister called Rupa. She's a lawyer. And she's a tough cookie. And she didn't believe in all this Jesus stuff. 
And she was always giving me hassle for letting the family down and bringing shame on the family. And when she saw this happen, I kid you not, Epsom District Hospital, which is where I was last Wednesday, on that day, as my other sister came out of the coma, Rupa was on the front of Epsom District Hospital, sitting down and saying, Lord Jesus, take my life. Take my life. You are God and you love me and you love my family. So this tough cookie <laughs> uh, turned to Jesus. And then when I thought, okay, it's going to be a nice calm time now. <laughs> We've done as much battle as is possible. Actually, by the way, I come from a Punjabi race that are warriors, in case you want to know that. <laughs> we come from like a warrior race. So I think this whole battle thing was particularly pertinent for us. But it was followed by another trauma in our family. My mum became very, very ill. She just lost all these brothers. Our family was in just all over the place. She was getting very low. And she became very, very sad and low. And we thought, okay, what can we do? So my sister Rupa decided that she was going to go and find some Asian Christians, South, South, Run, South Indian Fellowship, I think in Tooting. She's going to find some Christians and she was going to tell them to come and pray for my mum because this doesn't have to be like this because Jesus came to give life and life abundant. So this uh, very Indian preacher turned up with his crew and all of my mum's sisters turned up and they were like praying and chanting uh, from the grunts and he was praying for my mum and saying that God can help you, God can heal you and he was telling her stories of where God had done that and then what happened he prayed for her and then he said, is there anyone here that might want to follow Jesus that isn't following Jesus? And I nearly died on the spot because my dad, who all these years, <laughs> you know, a true blue Punjabi Sikh religious following from a religious family just stood up. And he said, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to follow this Jesus. So he became a Christian. I thought, oh my gosh. And Jerry baptized my mom and dad uh, soon after, which was great. So the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but Jesus has come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And you know, when we're in this battle, there are scars. Sometimes we lose people. Sometimes our lives get damaged. Sometimes our hopes and aspirations get completely thrown in the mud. But actually, Jesus has come that you might have life and have it abundantly. 
And you know, it, when we have those battle scars, God doesn't, God still gives us hope. You know why? Because he pours his love into our hearts and he doesn't disappoint us. I could tell you hundreds of stories about my families because that's not all that's happened. <laughs> but I would be here for a very long time. Um, I'll tell you a, a little bit of a story. My mum and dad used to bring my nephew, Raj, he, he's quite, um, he's an amazing young man, to church with him just because he used to hang out with my dad who was an engineer and Raj wanted to be an engineer. And um, when he was born, I thought, do you know what Raj, I'm going to pray that you get to know Jesus and that you love yourself, and you love people, and you love God, and you become an answer to the world's problems. Raj went off to university, and he invited Jerry and I to his baptism. He had decided to turn to the Lord. And he comes from a really strict, like, um, Indian family. But there he was. He turned to the Lord as well. And, you know, it's a funny thing. It's, it's not a magic solution, and it's not without immense cost. But, you know, it's like long-lost family. God's looking for you, and he wants you to take hold of your family, guys. He wants you to be ready for battle and fight for your family, whether your family is your friends or your people at work or whether it's your family, family, your natural family. Because he loves, he loves you, he loves them, he made them, he wants to restore and renew and redeem them, all your family and all your friends. So you need to fight for them, you need to love them, you need to live with them just like those missionaries came to Kenya and dwelt amongst us. You need to tell them about Jesus and let them see Jesus in your life. And you need to pray and not give up on them. Because you know why? Because Jesus has come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And God is looking for you, guys. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, he's looking for you. He's your long-lost family. He's been looking for you for such a long time because he wants to take you away from all that stuff, all that rubbish in our lives. And he wants to put a new heart and a new spirit in you and give you abundant life and give you that fight that you need to make our world a better place, but to make our lives a better place. So I think I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, darling. Thank you so much.